Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, this is Dan Miller. Welcome into this edition of 48 Days Online Radio. We have a lot of questions today, as always, but uh, interesting, as always, never ceases to amaze me, the ingenuity of questions, the things people are confronted with, but what a great questions today, things like, how can I still be friends with Dave Ramsey, even if we differ, have differing opinions on some things? Woo, what a great question. Hey, some more things about, uh, how do you find insurance if you are not in a traditional job and if you're in debt and need to get out quickly, is it better to try to figure out something to do creatively or get a job? So got some questions that cover a variety of issues today, as always. Well, we just finished one of our coaching with excellence events here at the sanctuary had a wonderful, wonderful group. Every time we get a group together and these are people who don't know each other at all. They just come from all parts of the country or around the world and they come here and it just seems like it's such a cohesive, close knit sharing group that it blows my mind. I mean, I heard some ladies talking the last night as we were getting ready to head out the door. One of the ladies was saying, you know, this is better than any church she's been to. And I thought, how interesting. You know, we focus on business, finding our passions, doing things with excellence. Well, guess what? That probably is some of the goals that any reasonable church ought to have. So it's probably not unlike that, even though we certainly don't frame it as such. Got another Coaching with Excellence event coming up this next month. Um, we're, We're packing these in a little closer because we limit those to 20 people. And so we um, are adding more because we always have a a waiting list for those. But the next one's coming up September 8th and 9th. If you want to be a part of that, just uh, jump on one of our, well, any of the 48 Days sites at this point. They're all integrated, and you'll see connections to get you to the Coaching with Excellence event. Also got a cruise coming up. We just opened promotion for that. We had people fighting over wanting to be the first ones to sign up, and I'm not real sure who actually got that honor, but uh, I think it was somebody who went with us last year. Most of the people who went last year are going to be going again. In fact, they all confirmed that they would, in fact, be doing that. We're extending it from five days to seven days. Be leaving from Miami, going down through Puerto Rico. Then down to the Virgin Islands, uh, St. Martin, I'm not sure what all the other stops are. But we're going to have three full days at sea, which means we've got that much time to share ideas together. Frankly, the ports don't mean much to me. I really don't care where we go. It's just beautiful water and uh, tourist traps. But the time at sea is extremely valuable and that that's when we can share ideas together. And believe me, it's a pretty cool thing to be sitting there, you know, looking out at the ocean, feeling the gentle movement of the ship on the ocean, uh, have wonderful food at your beck and call 24 hours a day, and still in that environment to be able to share ideas and learn how to do business better and more successfully. Our theme is going to be the John Mishner quote, where it talks about blending work and play, so nobody can tell which one it is that you're doing. So if you're looking to have that be, uh, an exemplified theme in your life. Join us for that. One of our last year's cruisers, Pierce Mars, uh, is going to be 
The welcoming crowd for any of you who are interested in the cruise. The information will lead you right to giving uh, Pierce a call or contacting him. He and Lisa, his wife, went with us last year. It was their first cruise ever. They celebrated their 25th anniversary with us. And they are avid fans of a cruise and everything about it. So Pierce has graciously volunteered to be kind of the door to answer questions you may have and uh, just to help you get comfortable with whatever questions you may have about joining us on that cruise. We'd love to see you there. That's going to be in February of next year. We're going to be gone Sunday to Sunday, and it's going to include whatever day it is, but it's going to include Valentine's Day. We've got some special things lined out uh, just because of that, so a great way to spend Valentine's Day together. Also, we have our Right to the Bank event coming up in September. A lot of people have already registered for that. Now, that we open up a little more. Uh, we we inc- intend to not have more than 45. The last one, we had 53 people before we closed the registration. But a lot of you want to turn your writing into income, and that's what the focus of that is. It's not to learn how to write. There are other ways to do that. As with the coaching event, my focus in these is not how to teach you to coach well. There are a lot of other ways to learn how to do that, and we've got a lot of programs. I've got a downloadable program that you get as part of attending that particular event that does teach you how to coach well but our live event focuses more on how do you make money with that knowing that 95 percent of people who call themselves coaches in america make less than forty thousand dollars a year how do you break out of that how do you make six figures in your coaching and we talk about ways to do that and i share very openly things that have worked very well for me for years and years same thing is true in the right to the bank We don't focus just on how to construct a great sentence, how to use syntax, grammar, where to to put your predicates. No, it's how to make money with your writing. So if that's a focus that you want to have, we'd love to see you here. Again, just check on any of the live events at the sanctuary. You'll see an overview of that and some other things. We've got another event coming up with Living, Loving, Working. That's one that Joanne and I do together that just talks about how to create the kind of life that we have. We get a lot of questions about that and are open to sharing the things that have worked well for us. Well, let me jump into the questions that we've got here. I'll start right off with this one. Hi, Dan. This comes from, I don't have the name on this, but anyway, how do you? Well, the question is, do you and Dave Ramsey ever debate your ideologies? I find it cool that both of you are such good friends, but there are some ideological differences in your messages. Dave Ramsey states that if you're in debt, go out and get a pizza delivery job and start delivering. But I've read that you had a devastating financial setback and you stated that you knew if you were to get a traditional job, you'd never be able to pay the money back. So you were more creative and leveraged opportunities to get out of debt. I'm in debt and I'm following your example versus taking a traditional job. Being paid for my time is not the best method to generate income. Nonetheless, you both are inspirational to me and I thank you both. Well, thanks for your note. And in that particular situation, incidentally, I mean, I was on with Dave recently on his radio show and we talked about the 48 business ideas that I have as a free downloadable PDF. You can get that at 48days.net and just download that. And we had over 14,000 people that did that in the first 48 hours after I was on with Dave. His listeners are very responsive. But Dave is very supportive of doing things that are more creative, non-traditional and entrepreneurial to get out of debt. So he certainly is not recommending just that you get a job. Now, if you 
don't have any ideas, then yeah, go get a job. But he recognizes too, that's a very slow process for really making much headway on your debt. So if you can be creative and you can you know, bid to paint a house for 1200 bucks and do it in two days, I mean, that's going to be a lot better way to use a big shovel, as Dave would say, to get out of debt than to just go get a job where you're being paid $10 an hour. Now, that being said, are there things where Dave and I do differ? Absolutely. I mean, there really are. Now, you've heard me talk a lot about the fact that Dave and I have a group of guys that meets on Wednesday morning. In that group, one of the things I love about that group is that we have such diversity of opinions in there. We just completed our study of a book that I highly recommend. The author's name is Gary Friesen, and the book, it's a pretty big book, is titled Decision Making in the Will of God. And it talks about, you know, how do we find God's will in making decisions? Well, the essence of the book is that God does not micromanage our lives. And when it comes down to deciding if you're going to get a a white BMW or a black Lexus or a blue VW, I mean, God doesn't help us make those kind of decisions directly. Now, certainly there's wisdom and stewardship and a lot of things that we ought to have as maturity that would help us make a decision for our particular situation. But God doesn't micromanage in those things. We've had some great discussions in that group around the content of that book, Decision Making in the Will of God. And in that, we've had some very heated discussions where we are not in agreement at all. One of those had to do with giving, which is a topic that Dave is very outspoken about. He has very clear sense of what we should do and we need to tithe and where that needs to go and all of those things. Now, there are others in there who said, and as a matter of fact, the author of the book said, tithing was an Old Testament principle. It's not supported in the New Testament at all. That in the Old Testament, the people were living under a theocracy meaning their government structure was based on their religious beliefs tying them together. I mean, it was a theocracy. So they gave the tithe with, in essence, a tax structure so that they could continue to operate their government because then anything they had, whether it's going to be police protection or education, the things we're used to today, were being provided because they were tithing. Well, we don't live under that kind of a structure today. Taxes are a totally different kind of thing. So tithing uh, is a different kind of animal. So the writer of the book and several in our group believe that it's not a New Testament philosophy at all to tithe. So you can make the decisions about how you're going to give. Well, that along with some other things, we have a lot of different opinions in that group about what really are the principles we ought to follow. That being said, there are 12 guys in that group, we can have a very heated discussion, walk out with 12 different opinions. I mean, those guys would go to the ground for me if I needed to, and I for them. I mean, I could call anyone in that group at 3 a.m. in the morning and say, golly, I need, you know, I need your help in this situation. And they would readily be there to help. We have that kind of connection, but it's not based on consensus or having just the same opinions on everything. Personally, I think if you hang around with people who all have the same opinions that you do about everything, if it's religion, politics, education, or health care, whatever, I think you're in danger of having a very limited view of the world. I mean, people like Socrates says we only learn through discourse. 
we learn by sharing ideas with people whose opinions may differ from ours. There's a very popular thing going on right now in the news. A lot of people are commenting on it. Whenever you're listening to this, it may be old news at that point. But Anne Rice, the author and novelist, just made a big announcement that she is leaving. She's given up Christianity. Now, she's a committed follower of Christ, but she's given up Christianity because she is not willing to group herself with the, uh, those who are anti-gay, anti-feminist, anti-science, anti-artificial birth control, anti-democrat. She says, I just can't take it. I'm not going to be in part of a group that so, uh, has so much dissension in it, and I'm going to separate myself from that group. Now, personally, I, th- I like the fact that we can have a lot of differing opinions. I don't think that our goal is to all end up believing exactly the same thing. But with those differing opinions, there still needs to be charity, love, unity, peace. Those things ought to supersede the differences of opinion that we have. So, yes, I can have a difference of opinion with Dave. Lots of them, even in terms of how to how to handle money. I think there are, there are different situations in life that allow us to handle money differently and uh, But in spite of that, I mean, Dave doesn't hold that against me. He doesn't refuse to come over to my house or invite me to his house because of that. Not a chance. Um, I mean, we're, we are. We've been friends for years and years and years. And I, I would hope, I would hate to think that it's based on us being clones of each other and only having the same kind of opinions. Well, hey, just to confirm that, how about this? Hey, this is Dave Ramsey, and you're listening to my longtime friend and career coach, Dan Miller, on I Love My Work. Now, back to Dan. Well, I just thought it would be an opportune time to to slip that in there. Obviously, Dave has done a lot of promos for me over the years. I've been on his radio show many, many times, and we do have a friendship that goes way beyond our work. Our wives have been friends for years. We're involved in our kids' lives, know what our kids are doing. And uh, some exciting things happening there for both of us that I'm very appreciative of. Well, let me go back to some more questions. Nora from New Mexico says, Dan, I know you aren't fond of people finding jobs to get by, but instead encourage people to do something they love. Here's my current scenario. My husband is a teacher by trade and over the last few years has done various work and never really found a niche. Last week, he got hired on a school district in a three-quarter time position that has benefits and the potential to move up over the next few years. My degree is in agricultural biology. I've worked in plant nurseries, wholesale and retail. While I love this work, opportunities for me to continue it here are self-made. There's not a local business in which to go get a job in um, agriculture and nursery work. I've been substitute teaching and working as a temp since we relocated. I've, I have started a small consulting business doing landscape design and problem solving for people. My idea was to build this up, eventually building a nursery. My family has some land. Now, here's a sentence that I want to comment on. She writes quite a lengthy letter, but I'm going to quit with this. Nora says, since we have debt and I still need to bring in a steady income, I'm looking for a job. And she goes on to explain about that. Now, Nora, this is one of those situations where, yeah, I am not a fan of getting a job just to get by. And the fact that you say, since we have debt, I still need to bring in a steady income, I'm looking for a job. I don't think those things necessarily are tied together. And somebody else a little bit ago 
alluded to the fact that back when I was in debt, and yes, I had about $430,000 in debt. I mean, do the math on that. If I find a job making 10, 20, 30, or $40 an hour, it's pretty difficult to work your way out of that. I need a bigger shovel. I knew that. I knew that just getting a job, and I had the credentials to get a job as, as a college professor and certainly lots of other things, but I knew that at that rate, I would never see the light of day again. I needed a bigger shovel, so I needed to do something more creative and non-traditional, which I did to work out of that. Still took me a long time. took me about 12 years to finish all that out. But I was able to do that because I did things that provided me more leverage than just having a traditional job. So the fact that you say, Nora, that you are in debt, so you need a job. I would certainly argue a counterpoint. Since you are in debt, don't get a job. Figure out something that you can do that gives you a bigger shovel. Now, you already see that you're developing a nursery business on the side doing landscaping. My goodness, I would think that if you bid a landscaping job and it's a $10,000 job and you've got $3,000 worth of hard cost in that with plants that you have to provide, and the rest is your time, expertise, and labor, that that would give you a bigger boost in your debt than getting a job. So I don't think at all that it poses a rationale for getting a job, the fact that you do have debt. I think you could make a good case for a counterpoint to that. If you have debt, it's a great time to not get a job, but do something that allows you to more quickly eliminate that debt. Go to that 48 business ideas. Now, that's not an all-inclusive list, but it ought to help stimulate your thinking about what you could do, knowing the skills that you have, where you could, in fact, start to create some consistent income and perhaps create residual income rather than just a linear income. Let's go. I want to go to a live call here. Now, we have a lot of questions about people finding their passion. You're aware of that. Corey has a comment on that. Listen to what he has to say. Hello, Dan. This is Corey from Utah, and I'm calling to give you my take on a question I've often heard you talk about during the podcast. Several times after receiving a question from someone asking about how they can find their passion, you've wondered aloud about if there's something you need to do to add that to 48 days material that could help them. Well, I feel the material is complete, and having experienced the inability to identify any passions or dreams for quite a while myself, and having the feeling that life had choked everything out of me, I discovered that the answer has two parts. First, get off your backside and give your brain a workout. I was guilty of only half-heartedly doing the work and thinking exercises. Second, give it time. As I made those daily deposits of success you so often talk about, the picture became more clear in time. In my case, it took about six months. I know this will be hard for some of those folks to hear, some who may feel that life has a boot on their neck and that the odds are stacked against them. But having done the work, I now have more ideas and opportunities than I know what to do with. Sometimes I can't even turn it off. So I would just almost say, be careful what you wish for. Thanks for all you do, Dan. Goodbye. Well, thanks for your comment, Corey. You know, that's interesting because that is such a common question that we have here. How can I find my passion? Or people saying, I don't have any passion, which always makes me just scratch my head. I can't imagine um, being alive and not having identifiable passions. Now, this doesn't need to be something that wakes you up in the middle of the night, that keeps you up 
from going to sleep. I mean, sometimes we confuse, I mean, just a momentary being excited about something with, with passion. Passion should be something, though, where you see recurring patterns of what you're drawn back to. And I do think that there are things that you can do to help clarify your passions in 48 days. Now, let, let me tell you how I write and how I want it to impact you. I always want there to be action. I want there to be takeaways. When I work with my publishers, we always look at a balance between writing that is called descriptive and what we call prescriptive. So descriptive, I can describe to you how other people have struggled with this issue and what the real concepts and theories are uh, behind a person discovering their passions. But then I want prescriptive. I want to tell you, do this, you know, for the next two weeks, track those things that really get your attention. You know, I have people do like goal setting, you know, I'm big on that where I have them identify what would success look like for you five years from now? Where do you want to be? five years from now? What would be an ideal day? And I'm talking about not just in career and finances, but also physically, spiritually, socially, in your family, in your community. What would a great day look like as you get clear on that? I mean, and those are prescriptive kind of things. So I know that, you know, it it does concern me when I hear somebody that read 48 days to the work you love, and they're still just totally muddy. And I'm thinking, did they really go through and answer the questions? One of the things that I see in people who request coaching from me personally is that by the time they complete the information profile that I require before I have any contact with them at all, a lot of them get a lot of clarity because I ask questions in there. You know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What do other people see in you? If you inherited $3 million today, what would you do with that? If you knew that you had six months left to live and that's it. What would you do? I mean, those are questions that require you to think through and discover your own answers. And coaching is a process where we don't superimpose answers from the outside. It's a matter of asking the right questions to help you discover the answers yourself. I mean, that's what good coaching does. But I, I, again, appreciate Corey's comments. I hope that you have found your passions and that if you have not gotten clarity on that, that you are doing things, doing the work like he's talking about, not just half-heartedly just thinking about it now and then, but doing the work to make yourself walk through that process and get the clarity that you're looking for. Here's a question uh, from Jay who says, I'm a music teacher, absolutely love my job. Our salaries are based on a chart with our number of years and education level. I'm working on a master's degree. I teach lessons and perform concerts. What are some other ways I could increase my income, especially when all school districts have the same type of pay scale? <clears throat> well, that's a, that's a tough one. And, and frankly, when we have a pay scale that bases compensation on number of years in education level, that's a real disincentive to anyone who really wants to get ahead. Yesterday, I was working with a gentleman who's in sales, and the company has now capped what the salespeople can make. How could you possibly put a cap on what a salesperson can make? They're just saying that this is the maximum we're going to pay you. You do great work. Yes, we want you to go behind that. We want to have big quotas for you. But if you do a really great job, you're not going to make any more money than if you do a mediocre job. I mean, how could you possibly support that as a pay 
plan that you think has any kind of incentive. Well, academic pay plans are notorious for that. We don't care if you do a great job or a a really poor job because we're going to pay you based on the number of years you've been teaching and the academic degrees you have behind your name. Horrible system. Well, that's a discussion for another day. But if you choose to stay in that, this is one of those where we have to determine what is it you have control over and what is it you do not have control over. That's probably a feature of your working environment that you're not going to be able to control. So then the choice is only, do you choose to stay there or not? You have control over that as well. You aren't trapped there. Nobody's forcing you to go into work tomorrow. But if you choose to go there and you know that's the pay system, then you need to choose to be okay with that because the chances of changing that are um, pretty non-existent. So what can you do as a music teacher to increase your income? Well, you, you mentioned some things that you do and you're teaching lessons, you're performing concerts. I mean, those are great things to do. I mean, I know people who, who play just show up and do background music at social events, and they charge $100 an hour, you know, to do that so they can pick up some extra money in doing that. So you have to look for creative things like that that you could do. Rather than teaching lessons one-on-one, could you do a group workshop or seminar on playing the saxophone? I mean, one of the things that is a hot rage right here, right here in our backyard, there's a place here in the Cool Springs area called Sips and Strokes. What this is, it's a place where you come in. So you invite a dozen of your friends to come in. I think it handles maybe 15 or 20 people. And you all have one painting that you're going to do. Now, this is for people who are not artists and don't have art classes. So you come in, you can bring bottles of wine in with you or anything you want to. Thus, the name Sips and Strokes. So a group of gals get together and go in there and they have a great time together. They laugh and giggle and carry on and share stories. It's like being at the beauty salon, I suppose. And they all walk out at the end with a completed painting. Now, some of those are going to be great and some of them are going to be horrible, I'm sure. But also, I think it's a way for some people to discover they really enjoy that. Taps into the right side of the brain. It taps into skills they perhaps did not know they had. Well, Joanna's been a couple times. She enjoys the process a lot. She has taken art lessons for many years, so her work looks pretty stinking good when she comes out. But I'm intrigued by the idea. I have never had an art class, but I remember when I was in the second grade in school, so I would have been, what, seven years old, I drew a picture of an iris. My second grade teacher commented on that, commended me on that greatly, and had it entered in the county fair, in the art exhibit. I mean, I'll never forget that. It made a big impact on me. Now, why that didn't encourage me to continue art, I'm not sure. But it certainly encouraged me to do things that were unusual, to try things that were not common for my family system. And to expect that there may be people in the world who did appreciate it. So it was one of those defining moments in many ways. I mean, we, we talk about, I mean, Dr. Phil says we all have five defining moments in our lives. Those times when, aha, the light bulb comes on, or even if it's a negative thing, it somehow shaped the course of our life. About five. I can certainly define those things in my life. I mean, that was one when I was in the second grade and had that second grade teacher 
compliment me on my art and enter it in the county fair. That was a really big deal for a little Mennonite kid who was taught to stay behind the scenes. Another defining moment for me was when I was 13 years old and got my hands on what you've probably heard me talk about before, the little 33 and a third RPM recording of Earl Nightingale titled The Strangest Secret. And then he talked about the principle that we become what we think about. Now, I've seen that confirmed in thousands of different ways over the years, certainly a biblical precept, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It goes on, it's been uh, confirmed in many, many writings, psychology books, theology books, things like The Secret that have been around for a few years now, but you know, just that principle. But it had a profound impact on me. It was what I would certainly describe as a defining moment. So look for those in your own life. Can you identify those? Can you perhaps create one to shape the course of where you're going for your future? I mean, I believe in this process of looking five years out and determining where do I want to be and how am I going to get there? Well, let me go on to a question. Monty says, Dan, I'm looking at starting a part-time counseling practice using a DBA. Now, DBA just is an acronym for doing business as. So it just means that you haven't done anything legally to protect that name, but you are doing business as. And you'll see on people's checking accounts, a Dan Miller, DBA, 48 days. Now, you don't see that on mine because 48 days is an LLC, which is a legal entity. But you could use that. That's just an example. Monty says, I'm looking to start a part-time counseling practice using a DBA. It appears in New Mexico I would not have to register my DBA. What else should I do to get started and to protect my DBA name? The most important thing you can do to protect a business name is get the domain. Get the URL so it is your name, you know, 48days.com. I mean, that is the most important thing. But I would encourage you to go ahead and register your, your DBA name. I mean, get it out there. Do all the things that you can to protect that. You don't have to pay the money to become incorporated and all that if you're just starting out. But you, by all means, want the Internet domain name. Without that, I would discourage you from using a name. Nobody's going to stop you. I mean, just the fact that somebody else has that name out there that they're using doesn't mean they're going to stop you. But it just is counterintuitive. It's going to work against you to build your business if you do not have the .com for your name. Now, there are people who have a .net, certainly. Um, There are people who have .biz. But there's nothing as strong as having a .com. And I I would almost recommend changing the name so that you do get a .com name that goes along with your business name. But that's the most important thing. Now, if you decide, if you get some success under your belt in your counseling practice, you grow that, all of a sudden you're making $80,000 a year, you'll probably want to form an LLC or an S-Corp. And in doing that, then they will research the name to make sure that it's available, and doing that will give you added protection. But this is a funny thing about this. In today's business environment, you can have a corporation where you have the name protected, but if you don't have the URL domain name on the Internet, you're going to be in a weaker position. I mean, I put that at the top of the pack to have the domain name. I have a lot of names. Well, we have a lot of domains that we register. I mean, I can dream up anything. I mean, I, 212 is the 
degree at which water boils. At 211, it's just hot water. At 212, it becomes a totally different kind of animal. 211, again, it's just warm water. At 212, it can power locomotives and blast mountains and do all kinds of things. I have Think 212. I, I just was impressed with that one day. Think 212. Think about what is it that extra degree that will put you over the tipping point that will give you the momentum you want in your job, career, or business. What is that? So I got, I jumped on and went to GoDaddy and got Think212. But I have a lot of domain names. Not that I'm going to start new businesses and all of those. A lot of them I have just simply directed to 48 days. I talk about Eaglepreneur. I mean, that's a term that I thought up years and years ago. But we talk about entrepreneur, and it seems to imply that you want to be the next uh, Bill Gates or Henry Ford or Sam Walton, and you're going to build a business and then have 20,000 employees. Well, a lot of us don't really find that an appealing direction. We want to be able to have the freedom to do our own work, but we don't want the traditional business structure of having buildings, bricks and mortars, inventory, and employees. Well, to me, that implies an eaglepreneur, somebody who wants to go solo, wants to fly alone. I think that's a great term. I've never done anything big with that, but if you put in eaglepreneur.com, it's going to redirect you right to 48 days. And I have a lot of sites where I've done that. They're just sitting there. I just got this morning a renewal notice from GoDaddy that I've got about 20 domains that are going to renew in August. And they just showed me which ones those are. I have them all set up to renew automatically. So I can go in if I choose not to continue with one. I can go in and just discontinue the automatic renewal and it'll expire. And a lot of times I do that. There are names that are taken and I just put it in my calendar for when they're going to expire. And I go back in and look if, in fact, they have just been let go and it may be something I want to pick up. So I've got a lot of things. I think I have, you know, I think I have like the the entrepreneur next door. I mean, I have some things like that, again, that are not high on my radar, but they're just domains that I have, just thinking that someday I may want to do something with that. Well, let me move on here. Golly, I got carried away on that one. John says, this is a, well, this has a whole lot of questions kind of built in that um, we won't unpack them all, but you'll, you'll get the drift here in John's question. He says, Dan, my friend Alan is a newlywed, age 40, with major heart issues. He's been unable to find full-time employment, so at the moment is working part-time. He claims due to his heart, he cannot work more than 20 hours. To make matters worse, he has a bit of debt and no medical insurance. He tells me that he's been paying on his debt and that he can't afford medical insurance. I've suggested to him what Dave Ramsey has said countless times, and that is to consider his priorities, which would mean placing his health above paying back his debts. He needs to write his creditors, try to work with them, and in the meantime, get medical insurance. Alan thinks that every employer looks at an employee's credit history and would never hire one with a poor history, but I've assured him that this is only true of banking and financial-type jobs, and that would not impact him as he's working in the IT industry and trying to land a job as a pastor somewhere. What would you suggest he do? His wife also has been unable to land employment and they do not have much support, and I have a bad feeling that they, they may be on welfare one day soon. Wow. I mean, you, you've covered a encyclopedia of issues, John, with your good friend Alan here. This is a nightmare of 
interwoven, complicated, snowballing issues. Major heart issues. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but you seem to indicate that he probably could do more if he wanted to, but he says he can only work 20 hours a week. Okay, so he's working in IT. IT has some of the biggest leveraging ability of any area of competence you could possibly dream up. I mean, if you are in IT and you develop a little software program and you license it to people for $39 a year, and all of a sudden you have 5,000 people that license that, I mean, that's amazing. You'll make more money, and it may take you not 20 hours a week to develop that. It may make take you six months to develop it, and you're part-time, and then you have something that gives you a really big shovel because you have something that you can license. I mean, there are a lot of ways to put legs on skills in the IT industry that are not connected to having to work 40 hours a week to make reasonable income. So he's got to be creative about what could he do with his IT skills to allow for whatever amount of rest and recuperation or whatever attention his health care needs require. But IT is a perfect skill to have where you're limited physically because you can leverage it in so many different ways. Now, I agree, you ought to have medical insurance. It may be difficult to get, but you really need to check that out. I mean, there are so many options available for people who are not in traditional employee positions, and there are so many people who are working jobs where they're no longer having health care provided. Insurance companies know that. They know that's a big market. They go after that market aggressively. They look for people who are have taken their future into their own hands and are more entrepreneurial and non-creative, that are doing freelance work or contractual work or they're independent contractors or entrepreneurs or temps or whatever. I mean, insurance companies love those people because those people tend to be more highly motivated and take better care of themselves and less likely to run to the doctor when their nose is dripping. Now, you can find some of those things. Now, we've just redone our website, but if you go to 48days.com and go to resources, helpful resources, and then click on self-employment, under that, you're going to see insurance options for the self-employed. And you're going to see a host of information there that I have available, links you can click through. You can get insurance with almost any kind of a situation. Now, it may have a time lag where it's going to require you to be in for six months or a year before it covers a pre-existing condition. And there are some where it may not cover a pre-existing condition. But you certainly can get insurance for the other things that may come up unexpectedly as well. Got to do that. Um, well, I, I hate to be too harsh on your, your friend Alan here, but with some of the things that you identify in here that he doesn't want to work more than 20 hours and uh, he's got his priorities wrong and he thinks nobody will hire him because everybody looks at an employee's credit history. No, you're exactly right. I mean, do they have the right to do that? A potential employer? Absolutely. And there are a lot of companies that will do that. But in a lot of positions, it really doesn't relate. And IT is one of those where it probably has very little impact at all. And people could know that you filed bankruptcy last week. But if you developed Windows 7 while you were working at Microsoft, they're probably going to consider you as a viable candidate anyway. So you've got to get past thinking that those obstacles are there. And that's what this note is full of just perceived obstacles that probably don't really exist. But once you allow your mind to go in that direction where you think 
it's not possible. I mean, it's the old Henry Ford adage, whether you think you can or think you can't, either way, you're right. And this is one of those. If you think all the doors are closed, you think nobody's hiring, uh, you think you're limited. Guess what? Those things, in fact, are true. But and then you add, my goodness, on top of this, his wife also has been unable to land employment. They don't have much support. Well, when you use the terms like land employment or get a job, it implies that they're looking for someone or some organization that's going to guarantee a paycheck and benefits in return for showing up. That just isn't a realistic way to look at the workplace anymore. Companies aren't interested in guaranteeing you a paycheck because you showed up for eight hours. The only thing that matters is results. They want to know what is it you're going to contribute to our bottom line. How will you add to what we're trying to accomplish here as a company? Well, the interesting thing is, once you define what it is you can add there as a company, it opens your options dramatically. Then whether you have one customer, meaning you get a job, or whether you have five customers or ten, or you do something freelance or on your own, as soon as you understand clearly what it is you do that has value, it opens your options dramatically. And I've had people where we've gone through this process where they desperately needed a job, and I ask them, you know, why would I hire you? Why would a company look at you as a candidate? And they can't, they scratch their head and don't know. It's like, gee, guess why you aren't getting any job offers? Nobody owes you a job. Nobody's going to give you a job because you're desperate and the mortgages do. People give you a job because you are so clear on what it is you do that has value to that company. And then the reverse side of that is once you get clear on what it is you provide for a company, then you become pretty confident that you can go out here and make that happen, even if it isn't under the umbrella of a traditional J-O-B. Well, I hope that's something, you know, sometimes people just aren't ready to hear that. I mean, I know that. I mean, sometimes people, uh, they, they want to hide behind the fact that, gee, the economy is in a little downturn right now. And, gee, they know three people that lost their job last week. So, obviously, nobody's hiring. Everybody's, everybody's firing. Well, you know that's not true. I mean, there are companies who are firing people right now who are hiring people tomorrow. There are companies who have grown out of a particular phase of their business, and they are now looking for people to contribute in this new direction. I mean, just think about the logic of this. I mean, that's golly, my grandkids talk about. Think about the logic of this. I think that's from Toy Story or one of those early movies like that. Well, think about the logic of this. Let's say that a company starts up and they're going to develop a new software program. What do they need? They need R&D people. They need people to research and develop the software. Now they got a software program up and running. It's been two years. They've got this. They've gone through beta testing. They're getting really good response. They've got 10 key customers who are already using this. What do they need now? They may fire all 12 of their developers and hire 12 salespeople. It's a different season in the life of that company. That's not an unrealistic way to look. Any company ought to be growing and changing. I mean, companies are fluid entities. They're not just concrete written in stone and it is what it is. No, they change. As they change, their needs change. But you may read about a company that is letting 20 people go. They may be a great candidate to have at the top of your list as a target company for you to go to because you understand what the next phase is for that company and where they're going. Well, here's another, I'll just add this one real quick, another company that kind of 
a question that relates to the same kind of issue. Robert says, Dan, I was wondering if you have experienced, if you've experienced any turnover rates for your contract positions. I know you've said you have no employees. So I was wondering in some positions, do they leave because they have the need for medical benefits? Do you get any resentment or questions about providing health insurance? I'm kind of perplexed because I would kind of think that if I'm doing business with someone and I value them, I would feel obligated to provide some health insurance for that individual. I would feel awful if something happened to them and they didn't have insurance. I thought that is how you keep a good employee. You give them benefits. Interesting your thoughts. Well, Robert, let's just think about that for a little bit. So we could make a case for if I want to keep somebody good, I need to supply them with medical insurance. Well, I'm thinking, golly, you know, they also have three kids. I bet those kids eat food once in a while. I really need to once a week go buy them groceries. We'll go to Costco and stop up and stock up and swing by Publix and get the daily essentials there. So I need to give them groceries. Oh, incidentally, he needs a way to get back and forth to work. I really need to give him a car. I need to buy him a car. Well, well, thus you see, I mean, this is a slippery slope. There's no end to what you could justify as benefits. And companies traditionally have done that to try to keep good people. In today's environment, they're saying, you know what? Those costs are too variable and uncontrolled. We don't know where they're going to go. We aren't going to stand behind. We aren't going to provide those. And there's nothing more magical about medical benefits than anything else that I mentioned or anything else we get put on that list. So, no, I don't feel any obligation at all to provide medical benefits for contract employees, the people that provide work for me. I pay them. We base their compensation based on what they contribute to the company. So if they have a chance to work for me and make twice the money they'd ever made in a job before, do I feel bad about not provide medical insurance? Nah, go provide it for yourself. And we might as well get used to that because that's the direction we're going in very quickly anyway. Let me grab a couple more here. Okay, let me do, let me do quick two real quick. Stu says, Mr. Miller, we exchanged comments about a month ago. I said I had a pathetic life and you invited me to lunch. <laughs> I I remember this encounter. Now it turns out he lives in many states away, so we did not have lunch together. But I I did volunteer that. I commented back. He's the one that said, "I'll bet you aren't even a real person because you're not going to respond to my question." And I have a pathetic life. And he went on. I said, "Yeah, I'm a real person, and we need to get together for lunch. I'll buy your lunch, and we'll come up with a plan to get you out of that." Well, sounds like Stu is doing some things, and it sounds pretty cool. He says, anyway, I built some custom electric golf carts with a muscle car theme, Super B, Mustang Cobra, generally, but no one wants to buy them. I had a blast building them in my shed, never had to leave home. I used the typical methods of advertising, internet, flyers, parades, and exposure along the highway, but no luck. Is the economy too bad for folks to buy toys, or do you think it's just not a good idea? I tried to be eco-friendly with the electric, but other sellers say everyone wants gas-powered. I have more ideas for building others, but I can't continue until I sell at least one to get some money back. Tons of people have stopped and looked at them at the end of my driveway, but then they just zoom away. Um, said to myself, I'll show you someday. Well, I even prayed about it. That didn't help any advice. Don't have any friends to get me in a job, so I'm trying to do it myself. I could send you pictures of the carts if you want. 
then you could see if they're a bad idea. Thanks a million, Stu. Well, Stu, yes, send me pictures. I'd love to see pictures. Just just attach those to askdan at 48days.com. And you can always send a question into there, askdan at 48days.com. But I'd love to see pictures of that. Now, is the economy too bad for people to buy toys? Absolutely not. I mean, I have a, a friend who builds build houses, expensive houses. He's building a house right now for a lady who has 14 dogs. And he had to get special zoning permits to build the windows where they went all the way to the ground because the lady wants her dogs to be able to see the lake when they're in their beds. Okay, that's a sector of the economy that's not affected a whole lot by a little blimp in the economy. I mean, there are people who, I mean, uh, to get a Jesse James customized motorcycle, there's like a four-year wait time to get motorcycles that start at $150,000 a year. No, people buy toys. Your challenge is in the marketing. Now, I wonder, and I think it's a valid point to look at, you built muscle car themes, Super B, Mustang, Cobra, General Lee, and then they are electric, so they just go, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the idea of having a gas-powered cart where you have a Mustang Cobra themed to the cart may be a reasonable kind of adaptation. But those are the things you need to learn from your customers so that you can make those adjustments. But no, there's plenty of opportunity to sell exotic things, luxuries, not things that people need, but things that people want. I tell people all the time, you can make a living providing things that people need, but you can get rich providing things that people want. Well, oh, I've got a couple other questions I'd love to address. One about overcoming fear. I need to address that, but I'm going to have to save that for another time. We're at our, at the end of our 48 days time period and I try to be consistent on wrapping this up in 48 days so you know what to expect and you get what you expect so I'm going to maintain it at that we're going to keep it at that well it's my delight to be with you every week just going through the intriguing questions that you and not only you but these are things that affect me as well I mean I have more questions than any of you and I look to other resources for help just yesterday I listened to an hour-long interview with an old gentleman Melvin Powers who made a name for himself in direct mail order marketing loved listening to the interview But I am a student as well as a teacher and trust that you are as well. So whatever you're doing, I trust that you are enjoying the process of finding not only meaningful work, but a meaningful life. Have a great week.